going on everybody 360 digital closing bell here i am your humble humble correspondent michael tanner joined live from an undisclosed location in denver colorado here in this beautiful may 8th 2020 if you're listening to this on may 8th we are actually recording this that Thursday, about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon, just to give you a little idea. So if anything crazy happens between now and tomorrow morning, we will make sure to update you. But we are, like I mentioned, live for episode number 14. I am joined, as always, by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com, Stuart Turley. He's joining us from Dallas. How are you doing today, Stu? I'm doing fantastic, Michael. We got a bunch on the news desk. Hey, real quick, you and I are working on a lot of things here at oilandgas360.com, and uh, we got some nice social media coming out. Oh, we do. We will get into, you know, next week, we'll kind of give you guys an overview of everything that's going to be happening with social media. Before I dive into the show, I just want to spend a little time talking about our friends at Adamatine Energy, who is the best at ESG consulting company on the planet. I promise you we had a great interview with their principal, Tisha Shield. And really what they're asking there is, is, is they're identifying social risk that's going for the the energy sector. It's not just a commodity anymore or community opposition anymore. It is their opposition to specific development projects. It's everything from the success of divestiture from fossil fuels movement to investor engagement on your ESG programs to individual states setting ambiguous climate and decarbonization agenda. There's so much going on right now that Adam Energy can help you with. They're one of the leading consultancies helping the oil and gas sector prepare for all of the social risks. Like I mentioned, they're led by Tisha Shula, who's the former CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. And she helps guide energy companies just like yours to explore your exposure to social risk, your options for response, how your peer companies are responding to this, and the opportunities that social risk can actually create for your business. I would highly recommend going to www.energythinks.com to check them out more. You can also check out an interview that we did with um, uh, Tisha Shula, the principal of Adamantine Energy. It's about a week and a half ago. It's probably our most watched video on the Energy 360 Network, and we really appreciate them being a sponsor of of the show. Like I mentioned, we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to talk about really what we know about shut-ins and what that means. I think we've been talking for weeks now about shut-ins, shut-ins, shut-ins. What does this actually mean? What shut-ins have actually happened? And like I mentioned, what does that mean for us moving forward? As always, we will check the levels on crude oil and we will get into uh, all of the EIA numbers and everything of that sort. We will also check in with Tomcat and how our portfolio is going. But before we do that, I do have a little bit of clerical work. Please, if you are not subscribed to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or Entercom's YouTube channel, please pause this show. Subscribe, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, do whatever makes the algorithm go nuts. We really appreciate all of your support. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Oil and Gas 360, and Entercom. Connect with me and Stu um, on LinkedIn, Michael Tanner and Stuart Turley. You can also check out all of the Energy 360 videos that we have dropped. We dropped a, a video with Premier Oilfield Group that dropped on Tuesday that I highly recommend watching as it's going to be a great preset for our first um, segment that we're going to get into here in a little bit. We also dropped one with CAC Specialties. I know I personally learned a lot from that one. If you don't know what DNO insurance is, I'd highly recommend. I'm not even going to spoil it. I'm just going to force you to go to oilandgas360.com and watch it. We're also dropping one next week with uh, Lucas Bio. And I don't know, is there anything else we can we, we can we can chat about that we're launching? What what what, what can we share with the fans? Well, let's see. We just uh, cut a uh, special on the Michael Moore movie. This mm. Yes, we did just cut that. That'll be a, that, that'll be a great one. We we, we watched. Uh, if if you know, I highly recommend you guys doing this. It's called Planet of Humans on YouTube. It's a new Michael Moore documentary. And before I get too, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it because I want you to watch the special. 
It's not pro-fossil fuels, but man, is it anti-renewables. He goes hard after some of the renewable industries, and it's very fascinating. I highly recommend watching. We have a great interview that's dropping with me, Stu, and Dan, who's the director of consulting that at Entercom. But I think that's about does it for everything clerical work. And really what I want to do is, 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 is what I mentioned to shift gears into, into the, the shutting in wells topic. And, you know, over the past, oh, I want to say two, three weeks, I think we've shifted from storage being a big issue to now, all right, what's happening with all the shut-in wells? I think we're seeing demand starting to rebalance itself. I, you know, I was on a Rice Dad Energy um, webinar about a week ago that mentioned that we're starting to see, talk about flattening the curve in the, in the coronavirus. We're starting to really flatten that demand curve. And I think as we start seeing it come back, the issue is now we're beginning to shut in wells. We've been chatting for it for about two, three weeks, and now we're actually starting to see it play out. And really, there's just been so much talk about it. I really wanted to sit down this morning and, and figure out, okay, well, what do we know? actually about shut-ins what are sort of the two, two schools of thought and that's sort of what we come to when we talk about all right what's going on there are really two schools of thought and then what does all this mean moving forward for the oil and gas specifically when it comes to the finance and so when we focus on what we know there's really three facts and really two facts that really we know about shutting in wells one we know that well we know that there are more wells producing less than 10 barrels a day then there are not. And that's a really crazy number to think about. I think everybody thinks about we're drilling fast shale wells in the Permian. Everybody's up fracking three mile long laterals in the Bakken. But really, when you look at the majority of the producing wells in this country are less than 10 barrels a day, which, you know, some of those can identify themselves as a stripper well. The other thing that we know about all of these wells is that they're deep in the oil patch. Some of them are not terribly accessible. They're not all hooked up to the correct pipelines, and they do not have the correct ability to maybe shuttle this oil to where it needs to go in this time. And the third thing we know is really that people are split on what should happen. As, as, as we mentioned, you know, since this coronavirus wave has hit, we've had company after company, specifically Pioneer Natural Resources, Parsley Energy, have come out and said, yo, we need to shut in and actually prorate oil production. And so what is, so really, you know, if, if, if we've got two schools of thought, you know, obviously you mentioned there are people split on what is happening with these shut-in wells, and there's two schools of thought. And one of them is that shutting in new shale wells would be pretty easy. Basically, it's very easy to shut in an ESP. It's about, you know, honestly, it's about half these wells that can be done remote anyway. Um, it saves these higher production rates for what would be a better pricing environment. You know, if you have a thousand barrel a day well, Shutting it off now and turning it back on when oil might be and you might be able to get $30, $40 for that, the pricing looks much better on that. And it allows you to save your low barrel wells to stay on. And that's key because another thing we know is one thing we do know, and this is something I forgot to mention in our 100% facts, but we do know that we're not sure if these wells will ever turn back on. Wells that are less than, a, than 10 barrels a day, we're not even sure if shutting them in will ever turn back on. So shutting in new shale wells, which is like Park, as you know, we, we heard last week Nick Barry talk about shutting in a shale well is much like parking your, your new Ferrari in the garage. Probably going to turn back on with little to no maintenance as long as you only let it set there for a month. And it, and like I mentioned, it's going to allow you to save those lower wells, those the majority of the wells producing less than 10 barrels a day. It's going to allow you to keep those on so you don't have to necessarily worry about, is my well going to turn back on or will it not? The other side of the coin, and this is really what I want to bring Stu in because he was actually on this interview, but the other school of thought is that it's not going to be easy and that there's a lot of things to consider before you just say, hey, let's turn off my hat, 
my, 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 my largest well. And really, this was an interview we did with Premier Oil Field Group. It dropped on Tuesday. I know I teased it in the beginning. But really what they did was give a great overview from a reservoir side of what does the actual shut-in decision-making process look like and how does it actually play on the field? So before I kind of dive into my key thoughts from there, I want Stu to give an overview really of what's going on. Hey, Michael, uh, I'll tell you what, we always talk about having experts, and that's part of the 360 Energy Expert Network, and we had Blue and Frank from Premier uh, Oil Field Service, uh, and I mean, they were absolutely phenomenal, Michael. Uh, what we talked about is not only the parent-child relationship in a reservoir, it is also the fact that the fracking fluid, and when you shut in a well, it not only takes a look, but the fluid changes from all the fractures and the fluid coming down, mm -hmm. it changes the entire mix. So when you come back online, not only is it just, oh, by the way, turning back on, there's now a fluid change and you're not going to get the same mix that you were getting before. And that's where you were saying some of yours may not come back online. It's a totally different uh, issue. So when you go into a field, you need to be able to say, I want to close that well and that well, and you'll be able to really make the key decision. So the interview with uh, Frank and Blue from Premier was absolutely phenomenal. It really was. And, and, and really the one thing that I took away from that interview was the decline curve implication. And they mentioned this, that obviously shutting in your well, it's cutting off production. But what happens when you turn that well back online? What does that decline curve look like? Because obviously every well that's drilled, a, you know, thousands of, of decline curves are generated for that specific well in trying to forecast how much oil is going to be. Now, what happens is when you settle on a decline curve, you project that cash flow based upon different levels of oil price. And that's fine. So most companies right now, they have a revenue scenario that they've mapped out for $20 oil, for $10 oil. Heck, they might even have it all the way down until their break-even point. Who knows how low they actually bring down these oil prices in their model? You can plug in anything. Maybe they've plugged in negative pricing for that negative $37 just to see if just to see what it would look like. But what happens is so that these decline curves are what calculate revenue. Well, what happens if you turn a lot uh, well back on that's now only producing 85% of what it originally was? Well, now you have to redraw your decline curve. Well, first you have to wait until more data comes redraw your decline curve and then just wait for the lower revenue values because how most of these companies go out and are able to service debt is to be is to show our decline curves and here's what our reserves are here's how much oil's in the ground and here's how much the commodity prices so here here's how much we expect to make in revenue can we have a loan off that and that's a lot of how these debts works that's why you need a professional engineer to stamp reserves because you take a reserves to a bank and go get loans off that you need to make sure someone's got to stamp that and it's it's not me so find yourself a uh, somebody who's PE licensed they can go and stamp those reserves but that was the key that I took away from the interview and specifically why I fall if we want to talk about schools who thought I fall on the idea that this is a lot more complex than just picking your higher producing shale wells because even if you shut in those higher producing shale wells, what happens if you turn them on and they're only 80% of what they were? Well, those were those those make up 60% of your cash flow revenue, and now all of a sudden you've lost 15% of revenue off your highest margin stuff. That doesn't do you any good. These stripper wells that are less than 10 barrels, they're making you any money. The only reason you still have them online is because the shutting a well it cost you about $100,000, and that's partly why I'm going to add the link to a great article that actually talked about it, some research from Wood uh, from Wood and McKinsey talking about what it actually 
cost to like pull an ESP, pull rods, do some chemical treatment. Specifically, if you're going to shut in wells, I'd recommend calling 10X Technologies. They have a great nano clear substance that does a really good job. If you want to do help shutting your well, please give those guys a call. We did an interview with them on the 360 Network, another shameless plug for us, but they, they would be a great resource to reach out to if you're talking about doing chemical treatments to protect any of equipment. But those even run you about two to $5,000 a job. So not necessarily a cheap endeavor, especially when oil is sitting, you know, you know, we're seeing negative pricing is sitting at $23 right now. So all that being said, you know, that's what we know about shut-ins. We know there are two schools of thought ring on. Well, what does this all mean? Well, one of this means if you don't have shales, shale wells, you're kind of suck. It kind of sucks. There's not really a solution for you. If you don't have the ability to turn off a well that is, you know, because when you lay out the scheme of what we know, shale wells do have a higher probability of turning back on more so than the timber. The question is, is that percentage decrease? And that's really what we're going to talk about. I don't care if one well turns on versus the other. The question is, what does it turn on to? What's the percentage drop from its original? And that's what you have to look for. We would call that marginal barrel of oil. The marginal barrel of oil is much better on the shale well than it is the, than it is the non-shale well. So if you don't, if, you, if you're vertical conventional, Eek, that kind of sucks. And, and you could be stuck. I mean, pulling rods is not, not expensive. And, you know, talk about restarting a cost. Yikes. I mean, to, to you, that's at least $50,000 to send a work over crew and fix tubings or rods. If you shut in, say your conventional vertical. Another thing that this means is it also means that um, offshore is not going to be shut in. That's the one thing I want to bring up. We will not see offshore wells get shut in just due to the fact that the, 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 there's so much oil being produced there that the pipes can't hold that much. You can only shut in these wells. I think offshore wells, you can only shut in for it's a good 10 days before they fill up. They basically do it to enough where they get shut in during hurricanes. So they let the hurricane pass, they turn the well back on. So outside of a 10-day shut-in period, very, very difficult to shut off offshore. Do not be seeing them shut in. Really what you're going to be seeing is, you know, domestic production is going to continue to fall. We're going to continue to see shut-in wells. As we see, as I mentioned, demand sort of kick and curl back. I think we're going to see a convergence between where these cuts have come to and where demand will end up, you know. Um, I mentioned a Reistad Energy um, webinar I was on. They mentioned that overall, because of this coronavirus sort of wake up that everyone is having and how the economy might have been permanently shifted, they see 5 million barrels a day being taken off the market as a new sort of demand level for oil and gas in America. That's what they see. So right now we're only at around, we're at 11 point, 9 million barrels of production. We are up all the way just below 13 million barrels. So there's still a 4 million barrel gap. And when we talk about the shut-in numbers that have come out, it's not that much. I mean, we'll get to some of the numbers that Devin's dropping. You know, we heard in my the digital closing bill, one big thing today, Pioneer's only cutting off um, about 20,000 barrels per. So, I mean, the numbers aren't necessarily as big as maybe would have thought, but that's due to a lot of the reasons that we just mentioned. Shutting in wells is not a simple task. And I think it's the one big thing I'd have people take away. Shutting in wells is not easy. There's a lot of different considerations to come with it. And watch what wells get shut in and which wells don't. And it'll show you how these oil companies are thinking. That's the nice part about this situation is all you have to do is wait. If you're not sure what oil companies are going to just wait and see because they will do it and you will be able to see their strategy. And it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And then obviously turning on the off these wells is a decision that's been talked about for two weeks. I can't wait to get into the next decision. All right, when do we turn them back on? And that will just be another, another, another you know, great argument for everyone to have. I wonder if we'll have another uh, anti-pro, you know, an opposite proration meeting where they talk about how can we subsidize everyone to continue to drill more. Um, but that's really, I just wanted to spend the first couple minutes of the show talking about shut-ins. What does it mean? What do we know? 
What do we don't know? And what are the speeds going forward? Before we move off this subject, Stu, anything I missed? Anything you need to get in about shut-ins? Uh, no, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, if you do listen uh, to that uh, interview, it is, you've got to have experts. Uh, good management, good numbers, but they rely on experts. And I, I learned a lot from that interview. No, it is key. And, if, and, you know, obviously most oil companies are going to have, you know, experts when it comes to shutting animals. But if you don't, please go ahead and call Premier Oilfield Group. Shameless plug to those guys. They know their stuff. But I think that really covers shut-ins. And I think now it's just time to move into really the week that was in oil trading. And as always, this segment is sponsored by, the, by our friends at Sandstone Capital Group. They provide all the research. They do insanely good research for this podcast. They provide it all. And it usually comes from their energy camp solution. You know, they're, we're, we're, they're starting to work on writing some articles, which will be very cool for oilandgas.cg.com. They're, they're just experts when it comes to market research. You know, check them out, www.sandstonecg.com. You can give them a call, 949-561-1818, extension 101. And when we look at the week it was at oil trading, Really what I see is a couple things. I think there's two stories and then we'll get into the levels. Two stories is there's, you know, really um, one was uh, Shell selling their Appalachian assets. And this is really what we're going to start, you know, when we talk about divestitures that are going to happen moving forward. This is one that's very, very interesting to play. As we know, oil um, M&As are going to be down. I think you're going to be seeing pennies on the dollar some of these oil pure oil companies be selling for when it comes to these mergers just because of the fact that oil and gas is low but we've talked about how valuable natural gas is moving forward and we see this in shales in shell's sale of appalachian shale assets that is a tongue twister right there shell's appalachian shale asset sale that just is a say that five times fast um but really you know what what they did was able to sell 300 producing Marcellus and Utica wells across 450,000 net acres. They were, they were able to close for $541 million. And they announced this May 4th, which is taking into account everything is happening, which is an unbelievable number. It's an all cash deal and up to 150 million in common stock or about 38 dollars uh, a share. Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan securities were advisors on this. And really, it just shows you how valuable natural gas is. It's about 250 million MCF per day of natural gas. And there's also about a four, 142 of gathering pipelines that are included with that. But it's just a large number. And I, 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 we've been seeing some M&A numbers being floated out. Um, specifically from our friends at ExxonMobil, they've been they've talked about acquiring companies for pennies on the dollar. The fact that Shell was able to get 541 millions for some Marcellus and Utica wells just reissues the fact that we've been preaching this on the podcast. We've been preaching this in the Energy 360. We have an expert that's come talk about it. Natural gas will be the player moving forward, especially this summer. And I think you're going to see a lot of these shale gas assets sell for above market. I mean, that's a big number, Stu. $541 million for only you know 350 wells, I think it's a pretty good deal. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and some of the key things is you've got the Marcellus that's going to continue uh, – uh, producing at a uh, pretty normal rate. They've had uh, very good economics on their uh, gas, but you do take a look at the Permian, uh, all the wells being shut in, that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, it will. And, and the other thing that I just found interesting this week was Devin came out and announced some in, in their quarter two earnings. Um, they announced that they're going to curtail about 10,000 barrels of oil production across the board, which is about six to 7% of their total crude output. 
really what I see, really what I found interesting though, and why I want to bring them up and is they mentioned in their earnings recall this week that they're on track to close the sale of its legacy Barnett shale to Thai conglomerate Bampu Kalin Ventures by the end of the year. The original agreement, which was inked in December of 2019, was $170 million upfront and potentially another $830 million on the back end, which is unbelievable. And now they've revised that agreement to come to about a hundred and or excuse me 770 million on the back end so what an unbelievable sell of some barnett shale that they're continuing to talk and that's good to see if you're and so that's why i bring up both of these sales one is because natural gas as we mentioned is going to be big moving forward and other people are seeing it and you're seeing the m a market reflected which if you really want to if you really want to look at what is a confirmation of how the market is if, if, if you're seeing what the market's seeing look at the m a deals because no one's going to be spending 170 million in cash and 770 million on the back end if they don't have multiple minds and multiple people advising them on this deal so if you think m if you were bullish on m a's for natural gas you called this one right and it's being reflected in the market and give you a little pat on the back here, but I want to turn it over to Stu. What do you got for the news desk today? Hey, we've had a, a pretty good uh, international run here. Uh, I want to tell you about one of our biggest stories uh, this week. Uh, Saturday, uh, we had a big accident on the Orion, and uh, it is a tender uh, ship that's putting in uh, wind farms, and the rig crane uh, fell apart, Michael. Uh, and it was pretty amazing. We had the video on oil and gas 360 and uh, then the uh, second update to it showed the uh, additional damage. Unbelievable. Glad Gosh. nobody was hurt. Man. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable video. Uh, and so the other one is BP has revised its deal in selling in the Alaska portion that it was uh, selling off. Uh, amended some of the financial terms in the $5.6 billion sale of its Alaska business. You nailed it just a minute ago, and that is deals are changing uh, throughout this whole time period. So, No, deals are changing. I remember seeing that number close in December, thinking, wow, that's a big number for Alaska. Now, even in this post-coronavirus, everyone slashing CapEx, M&A's coming to a halt, that number even sounds bigger. If they can get anything close to that, it would be awesome because I don't, I don't see Alaska being a very profitable oil and gas field go moving forward, especially when ESG will continue to be on top of the mines. I know Alaska has a lot of dealing with that. So we will keep you updated on everything that continues to happen with the, this M&A, and we will obviously bring in experts to continue to chat about that. When we get into the levels for the week, I this was my first, you know, I, I mentioned a, a week ago on the podcast that I've been doing very well with my levels. I, the moment I said something, it absolutely tanked on us. And I just had a very bad week. In a good way, oil was, I was a little more bearish on oil this week than I think most people were. And obviously the market thought so. We are now, you know, on this week, we're doing about 5%. We're currently trading 23.54, but it was all the way up to 26.69 for the high for the week. So a great week if you were a bull on oil. And really how I see the levels on the bull side, 23.65, as I mentioned, is what we're trading at now. I think that's your pivot point to the upside. I see 24.37, 26.69, 29.43. Those are your big volume chunks. And now we're beginning to see that volume fill in on the upside. Because I mentioned if you're a bear, you just have huge blocks of volume to fall back on it. 
partly why I partly why my bias tends that way. Between 20 and 1793, or about 20 and 18 uh, dollars, there's a huge block of volume. I think that's going to act as a huge point of resistance. We can have our levels to the downside, but unless that negative pricing happens again, which we will remember watching that as we move into and this June expire, this June contract gets closer to expiry. We will be watching to see if that contango environment or that, that contango negative pricing happens again. Excuse me. But if it does, we will catch you. But I, I don't know if it's going to happen anymore. I mean, really, I would have not expected oil to be $23 at this point as we move closer. We'll obviously keep you updated. But really, I think we're going to see oil continue to hang out in this $20 to $30 range unless, obviously, we see some of this storage stuff, which, you know, it's funny. No one's talking about storage anymore. Two weeks ago, everyone was talking about storage. Now everyone's talking about shut-ins when really it's storage hasn't really changed. And, you know, maybe we should continue to, to keeping people updated with that. But, um, you know, and, and, and really on this on a storage front, you know, DOE came out this week, 2.1 million barrel build and cushing, bringing up to 65.4 million barrels. So really good number to see when talk about when we're talking about the increase. We were seeing a lot bigger builds in the previous week in terms of Overall, U.S. builds DOE reports only 4.6 million increase versus a 8 million barrel expected, which was very good. And here was the key. Total, total domestic production was down 200,000 barrels to 11.9 million barrels. We are finally below that 12 million barrel hump, which is great to see. Down 200,000 is another good number. Hopefully, we continue to see that increase week over week. I know I mentioned a while ago, but I was looking to see two to 300,000 be taken off the market a couple weeks ago. The fact that it took until May 7th or excuse me, you know, May fourth or fifth to really see that is a little depressing, unfortunately. But the fact that we're here, it's good to see. And as we continue to see these domestic production getting cut along with domestic demand rising, I really think that's going to help oil. And, you know, you know, I, you know, just so everybody knows, I, I'm expecting a reverse quarantine at some point. And I think people are going to go hog wild when everything gets opened back up. I know I'm itching to get out of quarantine and just go do something where there's other people involved. So maybe I'm not the only, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. And I know I've gotten opinions on the other side, but you know, if, 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 if demand continues to come back and production gets into fall, we might see a what, you know, we might, I might, you know, we might be disagreeing with Scott Sheffield came out today, said we may never see $60 uh, a barrel oil, if depending on how quickly we cut and how quickly we can turn it back on, you never know what we could see. So it'd be very interesting to see. And the EIA, EIA numbers lead a, um, leave a really interesting story. But I think with that, we're going to go ahead and just shift into our final, final segment, which is our picks for the week and our 360 fund. Before we do that, the lawyers make us say this so we don't get sued. Remember, this segment is always for entertainment purposes only. Everybody on the show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, and Stu Stewart-Turley, we invest money for our own account and do not manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice. We do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry. Remember, investing is risky and you can lose your entire principal. With that being said, Stu, how are your picks do this week? Uh, doing fantastic, Michael. Actually, I was up from uh, last week. Uh, let me run through the numbers here real quick. LNG Chenier, I'm up 1.67% uh, in phase, which is the chip maker for the uh, solar. I'm actually up 3.44%. Uh, NBL Noble, actually up just basically a percent. And uh, down here at Pioneer, I'm up 6.3%. 
Fang uh, actually. Pioneer. Pretty- no, I, I was on Pioneer's earning call this morning. He they they beat earn they they beat their EPS, which was good to see, especially and revenue came in exactly as what they thought. And now I mean he you know Scott Sheffield knew what he was doing when he was pumping out some of this stuff. I mean they knew what these numbers were going to be. But right. it was, but the but in terms of what the market saw, market was not expecting it. So Pioneer, great call. They had a great day today. Oh, you bet. And uh, down to uh, Rattler. Uh, I'm up 10% in Rattler and Geoparks kind of hanging just right on, right on in there. So uh, actually, I'm kind of surprised at my picks. You know, portfolio's doing well. And you said Tomcat's been bottom feeding this whole week. Oh yeah, Tom Tomcat's bottom feeding. Yeah, he's kind of watching things a little better than I am on HLX. Uh, two point. Uh, he uh, he's up a 1.4% uh, PVAC which is Penn, Virginia. I did not, I would have not picked that one. He's up 11.78%. Yeah, uh, Oil States International, uh, he's just kind of hanging tough in there, but he is green. Uh, And then you got Newark Resources, uh, he's up 8.4%. So Tomcat's doing better than I am. No, and he's doing very well. You're both doing better than me because I didn't take out any positions this week other than taking out one more futures contract on natural gas. So that brings up my entry price to $1.90 even, but it's really good to see. I'm bullish on that moving forward. As always, I have my 65 shares of Bonanza Creek. We entered at $14.89, currently trading at $17.12. So, you know, it's up about three bucks. I like that. You know, it's only, you know, but, but now to give you an example, 65 shares up about $3.00. I mean, that's only like 360 bucks here. So there's there's more money to be made. We're looking to add the portfolio. Um, as always, I'm looking for a longer term play to get in on. I'm not quite seeing anything I want to get on quite yet. But as always this weekend, I'll do some research and let you guys know. Tomcat, good to see him back bottom feeding. He was very successful with that a couple weeks ago. He's been a little silent and he's back on the bottom feeding train. I like it. Uh, yeah, he's going through that, and uh, you got to have a, a strong stomach for some of the picks he's picking, but he's oh, on yeah. the money. And a lot of so. screens, which I love. So, you know, that kind of wraps up what our 360 fund looks like for the day, and, and we're going to let you guys get out of here with a nice, quick, short episode, let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bill podcast. We'll let you guys, like I mentioned, get back to work. We'll see you this afternoon for the digital ticker. <laughs>